It's the Totally Football Show. In today's European edition, Bundesliga news. Bailey with a brace as Bayer beat Bayern, while Hertha's hopes take a dive with Jurgen Klinsmann. Elsewhere, Messi scores his first real wonder goal. And in Italy, will Brescia make up for firing their manager by firing their manager? It's all coming up in the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. And hello to you, listener. Thank you for joining us today on Totally Football Show Tuesday's Continental Extravaganza. James Horncastle's here. I am indeed, James. Alongside him is Alvaro Romeo. Hola, James. Bringing that Bundesliga heat. Say hello to Herr Honigstein. Hello. And bonjour, Julien Laurent. Bonjour, James. So much to talk to you all about. Many, many excitements, although PSG's game got got postponed. But what's the big uh, headlines from the world of French football, Jules? It would have been indeed uh, the Monaco PSG on Sunday night. Did you see the rain that was falling down on the Côte d'Azur? Incredible. I don't think they've ever seen rain like that, or at least for a very long time. So no Monaco PSG, which is a shame for the the thousands, hundreds of thousands of fans who would have obviously (laughs) gathered at the Stade Stadium (laughs) for that game that should be played on January the 15th. Wow. Uh, now, uh, weather permitted. So the highlights, were, I guess, was Marseille winning on Friday night in a very, very convincing performance from André Villas-Boas and his team. And we're going to be hearing about a Sunderland striker who's living it up in France a little bit later on too. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Rafa, big stories in the Bundesliga this weekend. Big stories, and the biggest of all was the return of Jürgen Klinsmann to German mm. football. Ten years after he's last been seen in a club job, he came back to rescue Hertha who are in dire relegation trouble. Right. When you say rescue, as in kind of grapple on, so they both go down together type thing. <laughs> um, well, the idea is not to go down. Right. Yeah, that is okay. the idea of the rescue Which attempt. is a novelty from his point of view, of course. Why? Oh, no, I see. Right. Yes. Uh-huh. Excellent. Yeah. Come on. Yeah, like it. Okay. All right. Much more of that. Alvaro in Spain... Yeah, the biggest story has to be that uh, Barcelona beat Atletico de Madrid to wrap up an excellent week in which they beat uh, against the odds, I would say, Borussia Dortmund and Atletico in uh, five days, which means that Atletico de Madrid is falling to sixth uh, in La Liga table, which uh, can be a little bit worrying as well for Diego Pablo Simeone's project because Mm. uh, Atletico is in a big transitional period and there are some question marks over the Argentinian now. Yeah, a lot of our listeners actually asking about weather. He might be coming to the end of his uh, his time there with Atletico. We'll talk. Uh, we'll get your reaction to that shortly. But James, Syria. Yeah, where well, Conte has turned the old lady over and is now on top, and got Immobile scoring like oh no one God. in sixty years. Right. And we got Brescia, who are essentially going to do a Watford. That's so extraordinary. <laughs> sack their manager for well, the man so, they sacked last time. Exactly. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> well, that and much more to come. We're going to begin though with. Saturday's excitement, courtesy of UEFA, with the Euro 2020 draw. You're listening to the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. So, Philippe, one uh, only team is left in the bowl. That will set up quite a Group F. Portugal. Portugal. Now, Portugal is joining France and uh, Germany in Group F. So, Portugal, the current European champions... So that's it. Looks like a very challenging group already. No easy games at the Euro, though. 
drama here in Totally Football Show as Jules reveals that you were actually on BBC Two covering this live. I'm sure a lot of the listeners would have uh, tuned in on BBC Two at five o'clock on Saturday right. to watch their coverage of the draw. Jonathan Pierce was in uh, Bucharest for the draw and I was in the studio with Mika Richards, Mark Hughes, Mark Chapman and, uh, yeah, and myself. Right, so you saw the whole thing happening live. Yes. Did they have to bleep out your reaction to yeah, Francis Jules. No, but I thought what was amazing is once Sweden was uh, picked out and we knew they would be in the Spain group, yep. it meant that he only left Portugal with France and Germany, so the whole room, and you could hear it, went ooh, like that. And so then, Group F, possibly the toughest group ever seen at any tournament ever, you've got... The playoff winner of Group A, which is either Iceland, Romania, Bulgaria or Hungary, good luck to them because they're in a group with Portugal, the reigning European champions, France, the reigning world champions, Germany, the reigning, well, Germany, uh, and and previous World Cup champions and just not a team you ever want in your dreams. Out of the group stage champions. When uh, you said possibly the hardest group of all time, Rafa really rolled his eyes. Oh, did he? (laughs) Why, Rafa? Which group have I forgotten? Well, the fourth... The fourth team to join eventually hmm. is not quite in the same caliber That's as these true. other three teams. So That's true. I think historically the Euros before extending to 24 had much tougher groups. Okay. That's Sorry. probably fair. Italy, they were delighted with their draw because of the hands of Francesco Totti. Don't know what your reaction was to Gazetta's front page on Sunday, which seemed to be tempting fate. We just said it couldn't have gone better than this. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Cue them going out in the group. I mean, I think they were looking... This, this is the, the easiest game. group that Italy have had since they got New Zealand, Slovakia and Paraguay in 2010. Mm. Oh, and they went out. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's Turkey, Switzerland, Italy and Wales. So, uh, yeah, what did they make of the draw in Spain, Alvaro, where they, they got Sweden again, who you've just finished qualifying against, Poland and one team out of Bosnia, Herzegovina, Northern Ireland, Slovakia and the Republic of Ireland? Well, I think that there was a very positive uh, reception and understanding that, well, Spain is an overwhelming favourite. And at the same time, there is an understanding that Spain uh, is no longer a power force. I mean, they haven't uh, gone beyond the last 16 of any round since uh, Euro 2012. So this is the situation now in Spain. They, there is an acknowledgement that the group is very easy and at the same time that Spain will go through because uh, even in the Euro 2016, the eventual winner, Portugal, went through as the third. So that's why even the group of death, as they call it in Spain, the France, Portugal and the other team, uh, Germany, Germany group. Uh, is it encouraging that Spain have sacked their manager before a major tournament <laughs> but just before a draw rather than on the eve of the tournament itself? It's been a mess. It's been a proper mess. I give you that. What did he make of uh, Luis Enrique's comments about the fact that he himself had, had insisted on Moreno's removal for disloyalty? Personally, I didn't like it. And I didn't like the media coverage of it either. Even though I think that media would have liked to show it, but then they, there was no reason to make like one hour or two hours opinion shows about it. I mean, mm. it was a personal thing between Robert Moreno and Luis Enrique. Apparently, According to Luis Enrique, Robert Moreno was not loyal enough and he didn't want to have him in, in his uh, staff. It was as simple as that. So Spain ends up having a Champions League winning uh, manager and that's the most important thing ahead of the, of the Euro for Spain. OK. Uh, a lot of talk that England, who are, curiously, joint favourites for Euro 2020 at the moment, uh, would do better to not win their group because the winner from their group will meet the runner-up from Group of Death, yeah. Group F. 
So it could be France, could be Portugal, could be Germany. Mm. So who's going to win that group? France? I mean, so Germany have the advantage, obviously, playing their three games at home. Are they? All in Munich. All right. Which is because they're a host. Big... It's a host country, also, a host I city. I imagine England are joint favourites, not only because of some of the players that they've got form they've showed, but also because this is as close to a home tournament since Euro 96. Yes, exactly. It would be. But France-Germany being the first game in that group in Munich would be interesting. Of course, it would be. And I probably, I would think that he would decide who would finish up in that group. What do you think, Rafa? Well, there's two ways to look at it. Um, on the one hand, uh, they were a bit shocked in Germany when those two doors uh, were made. Uh, Philipp Lahm, um, I think Joachim Löw said, that's it, you're fired. We have to get rid of you at the German affair. He's in charge of the uh, Euro 2024 mm. bid and organizing committee now. At the same time, you know, Germany have had problems getting into tournaments against so-called weaker opposition uh, in recent years. They weren't convincing in uh, Euro 16. They weren't that good at the, the World Cup when they got knocked out, of course. With this one, they have to be on it from the very first game and they have to have a very clearly defined way of playing. They can't sort of just start off and say, OK, we'll play one way against Bulgaria and then we'll, we'll change it up a little bit and become more solid, for example, at the back when it comes to the, the better teams. This is going to be a knockout straight away for them. So it could work in terms of the favour because the lack of focus was clearly a problem at the last tournament. Alvaro, Jack Tanneros, how is Spain playing their Euro 2020 games in Bilbao being received? It's been a mixed reception. Um, I'm sure that Spain will have uh, support in Bilbao, as well as many locals that don't support the Spanish national team. And they've got two options then, uh, not turning up for the game or just uh, supporting the likes of Sweden or Poland. So mm. there is not a political situation like in the late 90s in which ETA was uh, active, unfortunately. Now it's different, but still, there are many uh, people in, in the Basque country that don't feel Spanish at all and definitely won't support uh, any any game of Spain in there and uh, I think that the reception is going to be sometimes a bit bitter for the Spanish national team in Bilbao the reason why they are playing in Bilbao is mm -hmm. because the stadium is new it was uh, built and opened in 2014 and it's got all the UEFA stars Okay, but so have lots of other stadiums haven't they? In, well, in Spain? there is uh, Wanda Metropolitano mm -hmm. as well it is simply a decision by UEFA to play in uh, Bilbao but uh, I think that the Spanish FA obviously from the moment that they accept to play there uh -huh. uh, is because they they are fine with it and they understand that uh, Bilbao and the Basque Country is a very plural society, but uh, also Bilbao supporters uh, or uh, people from Bilbao that feel Spanish, they deserve to have the national team in there. Spain hasn't played in Bilbao for a long time, definitely not in the 36 years of life that I've got. So I think that uh, this is going to be quite a novelty and I'm really expecting and I'm really hoping that the reception at least is peaceful to the Spanish national team and there are no riots or any incidents uh, before or after the games. of Leo Messi scoring his first goal ever at the Wanda Metropolitano is that right Alvaro? Yes uh, he has scored a goal at least a goal in every Spanish uh, stadium he has played and that one was enough to earn Barcelona three points in their visit to Atletico Madrid keeping them atop the Liga on goal difference from Real Madrid who also won this weekend but putting a six point gap between themselves 
and Diego Simeone's Atletico. No matter how competitive Atletico de Madrid has been under Diego Pablo Simeone, Barcelona has been always a very difficult team uh, to play against for them. In fact, uh, Simeone has never beaten Barcelona in domestic competitions, not in the Cup, not in the League. And yesterday, I think that Atletico de Madrid played really well for 25 minutes. Uh, they had a uh, few chances, uh, one of them being Junior Firpo, who was terrible the whole game, about to score an own goal. Uh, but after 30 minutes, Barcelona found their way to at least to control a little bit more the, right. the possession. And in the second half, there was a point after a, an hour of uh, play that it became very clear that if anyone was going to win was Barcelona because Messi little by little started having good touches. Uh, they started having a lot of possession next to Jano Black or close to him. And that goal from Lionel Messi, when the game was uh, pretty much over, decided uh, a game, and it has happened so many times, uh, that Lionel Messi has scored a goal like that. In Spain, they call it the penalty penalty of Lionel Messi, referring right. to when Lionel Messi gets the ball uh, next to the box edge, he's always capable of producing penalty-like goals in which he puts the ball really close to the post and he beats any, any goalkeeper like that. As great as Messi's strike was, though, Alvaro, possibly the real star for Barcelona was their goalkeeper, Marc-Andre Testegen. Yeah, he, he's been outstanding the whole season uh, in many important games that Barcelona managed to snatch a point or three. And well, there is a comparison between this Barcelona and what Real Madrid was when they had uh, Iker Casillas in goal and uh, Ronaldo Luis Nazario da Lima up front. They say that Real Madrid was pretty much Ronaldo and Casillas, despite having all the Galacticos and all that, they were the ones winning the games. And Barcelona hasn't reached a point in which uh, they win games uh, basically always following the same script. Uh, Marandre Ter Stegen does a couple of great saves to keep Barcelona alive in the game and then Lionel Messi little by little starts uh, having the control of the game and he ends up scoring the winning goal. I mean, he was a terrific signing back in 2014 by Zubizarreta. It was only 20 million, I believe. And uh, Barcelona signed Ter Stegen and Claudio Bravo the same mm. season and the first season Claudio Bravo played the domestic competitions and Ter Stegen played only the Champions League well there was a moment in which Ter Stegen said I want to play more right. and uh, Barcelona made the right decision to keep Ter Stegen who was at the time 24-25 years old and to sell Claudio Bravo to Manchester City Right So when you got a decision between Ter Stegen and another <laughs> goalkeeper for a role Rafa maybe you should go with Ter Stegen I'll pass it on James All right then uh, Antoine Griezmann making his return to the Wonder Metropolitano and they had uh, they had a warm welcome for him. Yeah, and a banner saying uh, you wanted to have a name but you forgot to be a man. That was literally right. the biggest accusation of uh, Atletico's supporting crowd to Antoine Griezmann. And from the first moment that he got the ball, uh, there were plenty of boosts for the player. By the way, before the game, uh, all the players were announced and uh, there was no reason to keep Antoine Griezmann for the last announcement, but the speaker took some time. He said, number 10, Lionel Messi, Luis Suarez, and then he took a little bit of a breather and he said, Antoine Griezmann. And then Atletico de Madrid, in a way, prepared a little bit the situation for mm. Antoine Griezmann to feel very unwelcome. And to be honest, he, he didn't play well. He right. didn't play well. And I think that Atletico de Madrid should have condemned something, right. all that said. The, he must be used to playing in an unwelcoming environment because that's his Barcelona <laughs> team, isn't it? <laughs> in, a, in a way, yes. The other day, at least against Borussia Dortmund, he managed to get a good partnership with Messi, which is right. something that he was missing on the pitch. But off the pitch, it's true, that still Barcelona supporters don't love him. But what I was um, saying is that at some point, the supporters of Atletico de Madrid were chanting him, Griezmann, you must die. And... No one at Atletico de Madrid has condemned that. And I don't understand why. I mean, at this point of the day, 
Eh, Atlético de Madrid hasn't released any statement or anything like that, saying, well, we condemn what our supporters did, this is a minority, and we don't want this to happen again, and we'll find out who did it. Atlético de Madrid hasn't said anything about it. Okay. So this war-like scenario created for Antoine Griezmann is definitely not acceptable in the current La Liga, especially if they want to go towards modernity and if they want to replicate the best domestic tournaments in the world. I mean, they have to eradicate these kind of things. All right, good luck with that. Uh, Atletico, meanwhile, with just two wins in the last seven games now in all competitions. And Jamie Jubin, among many listeners, writing in to ask whether Simeone has lost his magic touch there in the same way, says Jamie, as Poch did at Spurs. Is that that's a feeling that's building in Madrid as well, is it? A little bit. I mean, he's been definitely more questioned over the last uh, couple of months because Atletico de Madrid, I believe that they have only won three games in the last uh, 10 La Liga games, which is uh, obviously nothing. In Champions League, they haven't been able to compete with Juventus or at least to, to get a win against them. And... Uh, they haven't beaten Real Madrid either, and the expectations were high because uh, this summer they scored uh, seven goals against Real Madrid in a friendly. That was a friendly, yes, but at the same time, full supporters got very, very enthusiastic. Atletico de Madrid is in a transitional period. This is undeniable. I mean, they sell some of the most important players, some of them retired, the likes of Juan Frank, Godin, Felipe Luis, Gabi, and so on, left. Even Diego Costa, not the same player that he was. And they replaced them with some young players that seem to be really good, but uh, they still don't have the uh, hierarchy that those previous players had. So it's a moment of reconstruction for Atletico de Madrid, but it doesn't help that, for example, the player that uh, people are more looking forward to watching, uh, Joao Felix, is a substitute after an hour right. in a game against Barcelona because you sign Joao Felix for 120 million precisely to win you these games. So, obviously, Diego Pablo Simeone, we know that he's defensive and he's not going to change. No matter how much money Atletico de Madrid invests on the team, he will always think about getting the results and the first substitution is always going to be a defensive one. Or if not defensive, he's not going to take out a defender, take out a defensive midfielder and put a striker in there. Mm. He always thinks about keeping a clean sheet. Things not looking good for Simeone at Atleti then. Speaking of not looking good, how about Barcelona's new uniform? Woof. I don't know if you like it. Well, yeah. Have you have you yeah. seen it, James? I have. Yeah, it's like... I don't know, Vasty jacket? Yeah, there's yeah. kind of like a lederhosen kind of feel yeah, to the does. trousers. It's like yeah. American football but type. Also a prisoner's uh, outfit, you know, with the... Um, stripes. Yeah, the stripes. Oh, yeah. And also looks like it's sewn together from six different other uniforms. It's as bad as uh, Barcelona's performances at the moment. It's a very expensive brand, actually. It's called... Uh, Thorn Brown and a jacket, that jacket in particular, cost 2,740 euros. Okay. And the oh. pants that Barcelona players were wearing, right. uh, 910 euros. Okay. So there you go. It's a really good brand, apparently. I didn't know of. That's pretty exciting. <laughs> okay, so Barcelona on top of the league are still on goal difference from Real Madrid, who won away at Alaves uh, in third place. Sevilla, who've now won three straight under Julian Lopetegui. And then you've got Real Sociedad in fourth place. Yes, Real Sociedad with Martin Odegaard scoring the fourth goal for Real Sociedad. They beat comfortably Eibar in uh, one of the multiple Basque derbies. I have to say that Sevilla beat Leganés, but despite all the good results on this run, Sevilla is qualified in the Europa League already mm -hmm. with 15 points out of 15. They got 30 points in La Liga, so they would qualify for the Champions League. There were some boosts to Lopetegui in the victory against Leganes, because Sevilla supporters are tremendously demanding with the team. And uh, 
Lopetegui at some point, uh, he made a very defensive substitution, and instead of going for the second goal, he preferred to keep the result, which is totally respectable. But he got uh, a little bit of a boost and a stick from Sevilla supporters. Good for him that he won without Lucas Ocampos and Fernando, two key players in this Sevilla, and they haven't lost the game since the 6th of October. So considering that this team uh, changed uh, 13 players in summer, that they had an investment that if you think about it, it wasn't that big, only 159 million, but invested in 13 players, which is an average of 11 million spent per player. Sevilla is doing really, really, really well. And also because they've got a new manager and he has somehow found the system to keep Sevilla in the third position. Is it? Third position, That's yes. That's right, yeah. Uh, very impressive. Excellent. After this, we're off to City A. Jose Mourinho here. Let me tell you a thing or two about special. An 18-year career at the top of football management, that's special. League titles in every country I've worked, that's special. What isn't special is winning the daily jackpot on Paddy Power Games. That's right, Jose. Yes, someone wins an average £40,000 jackpot every single day. So if you win, don't think you're special. No respect. Get over it. Daily jackpots by Paddy Power Games. Jackpots must be awarded by 11pm and vary from day to day. Jackpot is shared with other operators available on selected games. T's and C's at paddypower.com. On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. James, Syria, how long since Inter were last on top of the table? What, on their own? Mm. Well, at this stage of the season, so we're talking 14 match days to be all on their own Mm. in top spot. You have to go all the way back to 2009-10 when they last won the Scudetto. Mm. Interesting, that's where they are right now. Ahead of Juventus, who dropped points for the third time this season. Juve, they drew 2-2 at home to Sassuolo. Really interesting uh, goalkeeping scenario <laughs> in uh, Juve Sassuolo because uh, Sassuolo had uh, this 18-year-old Stefano uh, Turati yeah. who was uh, making his debut at 18 against Juventus. But he'd only just turned 18 as Is well. It was right. in September. Very fresh-faced. At the other end, Juve had, on the other end of the kind of age scale, Gigi Buffon back in goal. Mm. 23 years between him and Turati. In wow. fact, when... Turati was born in 2001. It was only a month or so after Buffon had made the world record transfer for a goalkeeper from Parma to Juventus. He already had 160 appearances in Serie A before Turati uh, entered the world, um, so to speak. And uh, at the end of the day, on Sunday afternoon, Turati was the one who made the difference, um, so to speak, much more than, than Buffon. Well, Buffon made a difference, but <laughs> not sure if it was the one who they wanted. Ad un retropassaggio avventuroso al limite. Sbaglia Delict. Attenzione, la conclusione di Caputo. La papera di Buffon, il pallone in rete, ha raddoppiato il Sassuolo. This is the goal that puts Sassuolo in front. Ball comes out to Quadrado, and uh, Quadrado plays it back inside to Delict, and he puts Delict into trouble because I think Jeremy Boga is putting pressure on him. So Delict then tries to go back to Quadrado, and in the end gives it to uh, Ciccio Caputo the uh, home-brewing Sassuolo striker um, who hits it first time and Buffon had been completely wrong-footed by what Delict was doing, ends up on the floor, the shot kind of falls onto him and then squirms beyond him and goes in. So you've got three mistakes in one move and that pretty much summed Juventus up for the first hour of that game because 
Sarri was complaining afterwards about how the team kept giving the ball away really sloppily. De Ligt in particular gave it away 16 times in the game. Um, rarely won any of uh, of the balls when they were put in the air either, although Sassuolo didn't do that a lot. And every time Sassuolo counterattacked, they looked like they could score. I mean, the first goal By was, himself, was, huh? was brilliant. Yeah. I mean, he sits Buffon down and then lobs him. Uh, it's a wonderful composed finish. And uh, Sassuolo up until that point, you have to say, were deserving of, of their lead. But then you have Turati, who has to be the hero. And, uh, and not only preserve a point for them but um, stop Juventus coming back in that game um, he made a brilliant save on Dybala after Dybala came on and, and right. can you imagine being an 18 year old you're making your debut in the top flight and where are you making it you're making it at Juventus you're mm-hmm. playing against Cristiano Ronaldo who has a free kick that actually is on target and you manage to tip over the bar you then see Dybala come on so you've got Dybala Higuain and Ronaldo up front Dybala's put through on goal. You have a fingertip save to push a shot from him over the bar. Ramsey has a one-on-one. You turn that shot. It was very reminiscent of Buffon's Buffon's debut against that Milan side of of Baggio and and Weyer. Um, And... Dizedby afterwards was saying he's a bit crazy and, uh, you know, like all, all goalkeepers, and I, I wanted to show all of his craziness um, in this game. But uh, he then called his mum after the game. Yeah. And she said, uh, he's a good kid, Stefano. You never know what you're going to you get. You never from know what you're going to get. It's a bit worrying from, from a goalkeeper, <laughs> I feel. Yeah. But, um, yeah, a lot of the reaction on Monday was the fact that Dybala coming off the bench. Imagine being Dybala. You have a, a game like, like the one he had midweek in the Champions League, and then you find yourself back among the reserves. And, and Monday's Gazetta certainly saying, Ahí, Sari, così non va. You can't have... that. Ronaldo just doesn't earn his place at the moment in the starting lineup, And you have to start with Dybala now in front of the old man. I would say so as well. Um, yeah, it's... Aside from the fact that Cristiano Ronaldo is Cristiano Ronaldo and earns 30 million a year, I think at the moment there's no justification for playing him ahead of Higuain or Dybala. Um, I think it has to be those two. Or you have to look at these kind of games. You're playing Sassuolo at home and think, can I risk playing them all together in the same team? Can I find a system or a structure in the team where we can have all of those guys and we've got enough people behind them to basically do the defensive work? Because Ronaldo, even though he seemed to come into the game in the final half hour when the rest of Juventus kind of woke up and were like, damn, we're two on down here. This is embarrassing. He still missed chances that the sharper Ronaldo, the more explosive Ronaldo would have taken. I mean, particularly over the last month, the number of chances that he's had to score with his head. And he's such a good head of the ball. That's the one thing that people always distinguish when they make those comparisons between him and Messi. Oh, Ronaldo's the better header of the ball. Chances he keeps missing from those situations are quite remarkable. Um, And he didn't score a single goal in November in club football, um, which I think that was the first time that had happened in a decade. Wow. Um, He did score the penalty in this game, which ultimately got Juventus a point. Um, But I don't think it saves face in terms of his performance. And Sarri after the game was, was saying that maybe after years and years and years of winning the league over and over again, this group of players finds it more difficult to get up for games in the league um, than it does in the Champions League because their best performances so far have have come in the Champions League, um, the 3-0 against Leverkusen, the games against Atletico, the big game against Inter in the league, and they've dropped points against Sassuolo, Lecce and Fiorentina who, well, at the moment are on a terrible run. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Inter, meanwhile, have gone back on top 
Uh, they beat Spal 2-1. Another brace for Lautaro Martinez. Could have had a hat-trick. Yeah, again, Lukaku doesn't Lukaku's ball through for him for that Incredible. chance that he misses. That relationship. For what people say about Lukaku's uh, first touch, mm. um, his ability to affect the game when he's not scoring goals, he was brilliant in this game. I mean, we talked on the goals show in midweek about that assist for Lautaro against Slavia Prague. But here he was creating chance after chance, um, not just for Lautaro, but also for Candreva uh, as well. Their ability to find each other, um, often with their eyes closed, is pretty sensational at the moment. And the big debate in Italy on Sunday night was, where do these two guys already rank uh, in the history of great strike partnerships in Serie A? They were talking about, obviously... Mancini, Viali, Pulici, Graziani, Aldo Serena, Ramon Diaz, Trezeguet, Del Piero, mm. Totti and, uh, and Battistuta. And it, you know, it feels pretty soon to be talking and putting these guys in that kind of uh, conversation. But Lautaro scored five goals in his last three um, games, 12 in his last 12, um, and all kinds of goals as well. Volleys, left, right. Yeah, they seem to have that game put to bed by halftime. Spal made more of a game of it. Um, in the, in the second half, and you have to look at this interside and say, there's still no Sensi. Barella's obviously had surgery and won't be back until after the new year. They lost Sanchez very early in the season until after the new year. Um, Lazaro, who they signed for a lot of money from her to Berlin, and looked like he wasn't going to get any kind of a look in on the Conte for the first two months of the season, is now doing well. Um, and you know, once Conte sides get in front and take a lead. They seldom let that lead slip. All right. Huge game coming up on Friday, though, when they take on Roma, a Roma side that are fresh from an impressive 3-1 win away at Verona. Mkhitaryan back, a grande Mkhitaryan back in, <laughs> back in the liner. And uh, looking good, no? Looking really good. Um, three straight wins. They were impressive um, in midweek uh, against Istanbul Basak Shahir. And Lorenzo Pellegrini is back. And I don't think there is a better passer in Serie A um, this season than Lorenzo Pellegrini. It's so good to see him back fit. Final uh, thought, James, on the title race. You mentioned that big game on Friday night between Inter and Roma. Saturday, Juventus go and play Lazio. Ah. So it's a big weekend coming up in Serie A. And I think it's going to be a big winter for Inter in that after this one, they also have to go to Fiorentina as well. So we'll, right. we'll really see, I think, over the next two games, another right. kind of test of their metal. So Saturday, sounds like Rey Mysterio is going to be parked in front of his <laughs> TV. Yeah, because... Are you Rey familiar Mis- with Rey Mysterio, Julian? The wrestler, you mean? That's right. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Former WWE champion, mm. who it turns out is a big fan of uh, SMS. Yeah, Sergei Milinkovic-Savic. In fact, he sent him a message um, How last did this week. come about? Yes. Why is How, he is a... Is that real? Is that real? I have no idea, but I mean, if I was a Lazio fan, I'd be wearing a mask too. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Sergei, what's up? Rey Mysterio here. I just want to congratulate you and Team Lazio for the great soccer you guys have been displaying on this Italian championship. Yo, you're the sergeant on the field, so keep up that good work. Buyaka 619. I mean, we should have a final comment on Lazio because six wins in a row. Yes. Um, Chiri Immobile, 17 goals in 14 league games. Immobile, immarcabile. He's unmarkable. You can't get near him. And to find another player who scored as many goals as he has uh, in the first 14 games of the season, you have to go all the way back um, to the late 50s to oh. Antonio Angelillo. In fact, only two players in the history of Serie A have scored 17 goals after 14 games. The other one's back in the 30s. Okay, he's doing really well. But 
I mean, it is. I mean, he scored in nine consecutive games, James. He's now only what two games short of um, the record that Qualiorella matched last season oh, with yeah. Batistuta in eleven straight Serie A games. So Immobile, who's often forgotten when it comes into the conversation, is not only great strikers in the world but great strikers in Serie A because people remember he went to Dortmund, flopped. He went to Sevilla, flopped. But he's been top scorer with two different clubs in Serie A, and he's in fantastic form. And I think he's he's very much trying to get the edge on his uh, former teammate Bellotti to be the leading striker for Italy in the Euros next right. summer. Right. Interesting. Okay, Lazio in third place, Roma in fourth. Out of the title picture right now are uh, Napoli, who lost again. They're now eight games without a win. They had that impressive performance at Anfield. What's the latest on the whole Ancelotti <laughs> situation? They're going back into detention, no? They are going into detention. They are. Woo! And the players are not... Um, against well they're not against oh, the decision man. I think they, even they can accept it but yeah they took the lead in this game um, and Bologna didn't look like they were coming into it uh, at all and uh, and then they scored against the run of play gaining confidence from it and ended up winning it uh, Napoli whistled at the end of the game but this is at home to Bologna at home uh, Carlo Ancelotti afterwards saying maybe I need to be harder on these players wow. they need to take responsibility can't all be on me and uh, we're going to have a meeting tomorrow and if um, if they can't come up with any solutions um, I will try to find a solution myself I what believe... kind of solution do you think he's talking I about I think <laughs> I think that solution won't be resignation, but I certainly think that Carlo Ancelotti will not be coach of Napoli next season. Um, right. I think Ancelotti um, is looking around in the Premier League to see what jobs are available. Right, uh, Watford. <laughs> Watford. You know, stranger things have happened. <laughs> oh, come on, Raph. Um, and, yeah, I think there's a complete but breakdown. you think he will have his Panettone in Naples? I think so, just because... Unless it, it deteriorates even further and it, we are at a very low point. Right. Um, I think the owner would be reluctant to pay off Ancelotti. I think his contract is until 2021. I think he recognises that Carlo is someone who has the experience to come through the other side of runs like these. Well, he certainly did a fantastic job midweek at, at Anfield getting that uh, result. Well, we'll, see, we'll see what happens. Next week mm. we should have a, a better idea. But before we move on from Italy, let's find out a little bit more about uh, Brescia. They were involved in the uh, Lombard derby. Uh, beaten 3-0 by Atalanta. <laughs> and uh, that what's that make it now for Fabio Grosso? Um, three defeats in a row. Yes. And he's only been in charge for three games. Aggregate score, 0-10. <laughs> Magnificent. <laughs> so they fire all Eugenio Corini. This guy comes in, completely miss it. So they're going to fire him. This guy comes in, um, hooks Mario Balotelli at halftime of his first game, then sends Mario Balotelli home from training um, before his second game. Uh, brings him back for this game. Balotelli did hit the crossbar in the second half. But as we record, um, Brescia are meeting uh, Carini to see if he will come back. Right. Please come Which back. Which is quite a common thing because he's still on their books, essentially. He'll, he'll still have been paid as part of his contract, just will have been told not to turn up to training and another person does the Precisely. Wow. I, I say that guy, Fabio Grosso, but I mean the World Cup winning hero, uh, Fabio Grosso. But, uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, who... Has done a reasonably good job in second division the last couple of years. He got Bari into the playoffs, got Verona into the playoffs, although they sacked him um, before the playoffs started because they'd lost confidence in him and they ended up getting up with Alietti as caretaker manager and then Juric came in and has been doing a good job, aside right. from when he's not condemning his fans for racist abuse. 
You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Rafa, shock in Munich. I mean, this was a surprise, no? Bayern Munich. Beaten 2-1. The biggest surprise was that Robert Lewandowski did not score a goal in this okay, game, James. Right. So, yeah, yeah. this is the is same Robert Lewandowski scoring? who tweeted right. after the Champions League when he scored four goals in, what, 15 minutes? That he was a 14 dic- minutes 30. Four- right. Um, so, technically, I'm right. <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he tweeted, I'm addicted to scoring. And what did Bayer Leverkusen tweet on Sunday afternoon? We have a cure for that. <laughs> I mean, well, what did Robert Lewandowski's agent tweet in reply? Oh, what did he... Re- well, your scouts didn't think he was Bundesliga standard all these years ago. Maybe you shouldn't be laughing so much. Ooh. Damn, sounds like someone's but, got a I sense mean, of humour. By of all the Sunday clubs that would have a cure, it would be Bayer, Absolutely. no? <laughs> ah, nice. Yes. Ah, nice. <laughs> Okay. Anyway, yeah. so that was but all it was really Bayern exciting. Bayern who had the headache on this occasion. Mm. Um, Leverkusen were very good. They had some brilliant counterattacks. Leon Bailey, um, for once fit and for once really on it, scored two great goals, breakaway goals. Bayern's Restverteidigung, as we say, they're sort of the defensive part of the team that gets left behind when, when the other team attacked. They just weren't in, in a good position, weren't really close enough to him. And Bayern actually, with the ball, especially in the second half, played really well. And Thomas Müller scored. Usually when he scores, uh, Bayern uh, win. Is it like 82 games, was it, before, before it's never Saturday? Before. When, yeah, when every time he usually scored, they don't lose. Correct. They didn't that lose, was the yeah. first time, yeah. Yeah, that was the first time. And they shouldn't have lost the game because I think they hit the post three times, maybe four even. They had a lot of chances. Radetzky played most of the first half with only one eye as yeah, he so joked this is remarkable <laughs> he'd lost the contact lens he lost the contact said, I lost my contact lens in the first half so I had to change them I hardly saw anything for the last 20 minutes of the half so I had to play against Bayern with one eye you yeah. try it well, one eye was enough um, against the Bayern team but the reaction was fairly mu- muted I mean usually when Bayern lose at home it's a bit crisis, it's, it's uh-huh. panic, it's everything. But because Flick had done so well, hadn't conceded a single goal, Bayern scoring lots of goals, and the performance actually being quite good, it was sort of chalked off or, or brushed off as a as a, just an accident. Um, and Thomas Müller said, well, this sort of inefficiency we showed today was unprecedented. I don't think this will ever happen again. So nothing too bad in terms of a real fallout or a real change of momentum or, or atmosphere, if, if you will. Talk about accidents, Rafa. I mean, was Javi Martinez playing at centre-back? I, mean, I know he's done that before, but it did look to me on both goals as though you can tell Bayern have a bit of a crisis when it comes to centre-back injuries. Yeah, I mean, we know that they're, you know, they're missing arguably the, the two best centre-backs, certainly the best one in Niklas Süle, Osano Hernandez. Um, Benjamin Pavard, I think, also didn't do great for the first goal. But yeah, Javi Martinez is not a guy that likes people running at him at full speed that's not his game and that's the weak spot for Bayern Um, the left side of of that defence seems to be quite solid now because in Alaba as a centre back position he hasn't played since uh, the third year of Guardiola and uh, Alfonso Davis who's been remarkably good as a left back they look good, but the right side looks a little bit ropey by, by comparison. Meantime, great from uh, Peter Bosch with Bayer Leverkusen after the midweek win away in Moscow. Uh, they'll be hosting Juve next week because they're still just behind Atletico Madrid by a point. Atletico, who we hear, having some trouble. Bayern Munich, meantime, are off to Mönchengladbach next weekend, who are at the top of the table after beating Freiburg 4-2. Wow. Yeah, yeah really well. And this is going to be an amazing game. Um 
will have real repercussions and real impact on on the title race, which is not something you would have thought possible before the start of the season. Gladbach are, are phenomenal. I mean, they deal with the Thursday, Sunday thing really well. They don't have a lot of depth, but whenever these guys up front are in the mood, and they certainly were against Freiburg uh, and Bolo and Marcus Turamo had a fantastic game, they're just very, very hard to play against. There's a lot of power, there's a lot of directness. Um, they have really interesting and sort of um, patterns uh, in their running, and they're just really hard to contain. And, you know, at Gladbach, this is, this is going to be a very, very big game for Bayern. Um, Leipzig, we should also mention, because they won again, Timo Werner scoring his 13th goal this season. He's really gone to another level under Nagelsmann. He was already a really talented guy, maybe a little bit inconsistent, maybe a little bit lightweight, but Nagelsmann, as he has often done in the past, has really brought out the best of another top-talented attacking player. And mm. uh, it's it's both Leipzig and Germany's gain, of course. OK, Leipzig, who are through now to the last 16 of the Champions League. Not doing quite so well. Are her to Berlin. We're down a relegation playoff place now. Uh, their fifth defeat in a row, despite, stroke because of, unaffected by the return. I wouldn't blame Jürgen Klinsmann for that defeat right. necessarily. They, they tried their best um, against the Dortmund team that came into this game very much in crisis mode. They had lost against Barcelona and lost in a fairly shambolic, uh, disgraceful manner, which again posed all these questions about you know them not quite being right under Lucien Favre. But they combined beautifully for two great goals, uh, with Jadon Sancho getting the first one and Brunt the second. Uh, some really nice moves. And Hertha sort of tried their best on another day, maybe maybe could have gotten lucky with uh, an equaliser that was ultimately uh, chalked off by VAR for very marginal offside. But the fans went absolutely crazy, pelted the uh, team with uh, with drinks and this kind of stuff and, and shouted, uh, shouted at them that they were going to go down. And the positivity and the optimism that Jürgen Klinsmann always brings to the table when it comes... It hasn't quite rubbed off. And it was a very interesting uh, beginning to his to his reign at Hertha, which at the moment is still seen as a, as a caretaker until the end of the season, where he held up um, his phone to film the stadium singing uh, one of their songs. And that was just when he came out and they had maybe, you know, two dozen cameras on him. So they were filming him. He was filming someone else. But... The phone had a hard case with Adidas on it. Oh. And Hertha, of course, are sponsored by Nike. So it was a bit of a, a stripe tease, you might say. Right. Uh, which got... Um, <laughs> was this just an accident? Right. Or was he sort of... Deliberately. Deliberately. Flouting the Nike sponsorship deal with his yeah, Adidas. It was a, it was, for someone who's so clued up about the, the power of communication oh, really? and branding and stuff, it was a, it was a strange, be strange beginning. Like yeah. He is there because the, the big investor behind Hertha, who's got this dream of building Hertha into a superpower, not just in Germany, but in Europe, who wants to build a new stadium, who wants to make Hertha this big city team, I think he's called it, Lars Windhorst, a, a fairly controversial London-based uh, financier, he basically got Klinsmann in on the advisory board, but because they were ha- having such a bad time and are in danger of relegation, Klinsmann has been now promoted to this caretaker uh, management role. And I think it'll come down to whether his number two, mm. who's Alexander Nuri, former Werder Bremen and Ingolstadt coach, is actually up to the job. Because we know from previous experiences at Germany and at Bayern, right. where his number two was Martin Vasquez. Like, yes, who's Vartan Vasquez exactly? That's the point. Um, didn't didn't work out so well. I mean, he, he's got 
quite a lot to lose, I think. Right. And so do Hertha after a 224 million euro investment from their new overlord. Wow. Okay. A couple of quick questions just to finish off our German section. Ash, Day and Nima both asking about Marco Rosa. Uh, as Nima says, can Klopp's former Padawan, Marco Rosa, surpass his master? Ash, Day, do you think Gladbach can realistically stay top and take the title? I mean, he wouldn't necessarily surpass his master by winning the league, but it would be an unbelievable achievement because Borussia Mönchengladbach, while, you know, sort of in the conversation for the top places, weren't really seen as, as ca- title candidates, especially with having to play Europa League this year. But it's possible. I mean, Bayern are certainly not infallible. Dortmund have weakness uh, throughout, as we've seen, and, and Leipzig are probably the, the team that they'll need to beat as well, uh, along with Bayern. But, yeah, it's, it's not beyond the realm of possibility and that in itself is is a great achievement so Rosa wherever he ends up you know whether it's second third fourth even if it's it's only fifth inverted commas I think is having a fantastic season okay currently one point clear of RB Leipzig uh, three of Schalke and four of Bayern Munich fantastic after this some French news you're listening to the Totally Football Show with James Richardson Nice bit of tinkling there from Murad Simpo. Jules, who accompanied Marseille and Brest on their entree to the velodrome on Sunday with the notes of Van Halen's jump. Yes, which is the song that historically the, the, the club put in the stadium when the two teams get onto the pitch. And, and Murad, who is a 15-year-old boy from Marseille, from the north suburbs, the really deprived and rough area from there, who became a sort of internet sensation by posting videos of him playing on public pianos. You know the ones you, you find at the station? Oh, yeah. That's how he started, and he's just a piano prodigy, which is uh, quite remarkable. And I thought it was a great gesture from the club to invite him to play jump uh, for the club he supports, obviously, being from, from Marseille himself. And, yeah, I thought it was a lovely gesture from them. Right. That's how the evening began. It ended with something else that was pretty prodigious as well, Marseille's winner. Yes, from uh, Nemanja Radonic, the, uh, the Serbian international, the winger who, let's be honest, has been pretty dreadful since he arrived at the club 18 months ago. Until last week, he hadn't scored a single goal in Ligue 1 and now he's got two and two, including wow. the winner in the last minute on Friday after Marseille, who, Andre Villas-Boas said, had a perfect game which in fairness to him is, is probably not far from the truth because they played really, really well, should have been well ahead and somehow found themselves 1-1 in the 89th minute. And then Radonich, who's just come on 10 minutes earlier, on kickoff after the Braves goal, literally got the ball on the left wing, cut inside and then hit that wonderful inside swing, right foot shot in the top corner, which was incredible. All right. Four wins in four now. Four wins in a four. And they had more shots in this game than any league uh, team has done for more than six years. 34 Yes, incredible. Shots. I think PSG had 35 against Ajaccio maybe six years ago, which was the, the, the records. Well, excitingly, the margin between them and leaders PSG is down to five points because, as you mentioned before, Paris Saint-Germain didn't get to play due to the provincial reign in yes. the principality. But so, what was interesting before that Monaco game, James, mm. is Thomas Tuchel was asked after the Real Madrid game in midweek, but he was asked before this game, Will we ever see Neymar, Mbappé, Di Maria and Icardi starting a game together? They obviously played some of the Real Madrid game together in the second half. 
And Tuchel, which, I, you know, I thought, I like the fact that he didn't lie and went quite blunt. He said, no, it's impossible because the opposition that we will face will be too strong for us in midfield. We're going to be overrun. And then right. we, the question was asked to him, like, you didn't find it interesting with the four of them on the pitch. Uh-huh. And he said, why don't you ask Verratti and Marquinhos if they find it interesting to have to run... <laughs> Instead of those four guys. But it's quite simple to put together, no? Once uh, Mbappe and Neymar move to Real Madrid, if PSG draw Real Madrid next time, <laughs> they'll all be on the pitch together. <laughs> That's one way of uh, sorting it out. You're right. Uh, but until that happens, right. until the January transfer window, if that's your wishes, uh, I don't think we will see them for Jules starting is striking together. James off his Christmas card list. <laughs> Big time. As we speak. <laughs> no, but I just thought, you know, for all the managers mm. who don't always say exactly what they think maybe I thought it was quite good for him to go like do you know what it's impossible because this is suicidal from us to do it yeah. from, from kickoff. I mean from the start of the game but even in Liga, they could do it in Liga, surely they could try but I think he's right in a way that it would cause you more problems than mm. anything else. even if you end up winning the M5-4 yep. that wouldn't do you any good I think to try that considering and knowing that neither of those four will defend and will trail back and we put the effort in so we may as well keep a more balanced team in a 4-3-3 formation, for example. Is, is, the, is Di Maria, uh, do you think that he will be happy to go back to the midfield? Because Real Madrid won the Champions League in 2014 because Ancelotti, I don't know how, persuaded Angel Di Maria that he had to play in midfield with Xavi Alonso and somebody else. Persuaded him of defending. He had to defend. Yeah, and I think he can do it because he certainly has, he has the ability of running a lot and covering a lot of ground and I think he's quite clever in his movement. It doesn't seem to be what he wants to do anymore anyway. I think before Tuchel, when Unai Emery was there, he tried him a few times there in midfield and it never worked out really. So one of those four will have to be dropped. And I I, I would think that Di Maria, simply because he's the, the lesser big profile of the four, will, will be benched from when that kind of game arrived again. In other French news, Nice beat Angers 3-1. Lyon bounced back from their Zenit defeat midweek with a 2-1 win at Strasbourg. And you've got loads of midweek action on the way, but we haven't talked about Bordeaux's surprise star. Yes, Josh Maja, the former Sunderland striker, the young Englishman, uh, Londoner who's 20, who scored a lovely, lovely goal uh, in Reims on Saturday night. Uh, sort of a Rabba Maja, Backhill, right. or even a Mancini kind of yeah, Backhill. Or um, Pasolic. Oh, Basalic, yeah, indeed, yeah, that kind of back heel, you know, cross from Roberto the right side. I mean, there's, oh, loads of, there's a few, yeah, because Maggia, in fairness, against Bayern Munich, was a, different, Law. It was a different style. Yeah. This one is, he's on the cross coming from his right hand side and he, he, he puts his body well and hits he it really well. He just opens his legs and flicks yeah, it back it in with his really heel. really good. And really good. his second goal in, of the season, he's still only 20. He arrived uh, last January from Sunderland where he did so well in League One when they were relegated. Right. And I think the, the jump was a bit big, maybe, but he's, he's getting there with Paulo Sousa, who's, who's doing a good job there. Oh, nice. OK, where are Bordeaux now on the table? They're fifth. They would have gone third had they won uh, against Reims on Saturday. Not that they deserved to, to win, because Reims were really good. And I think in the end, the draw, even, the, even a point is, is good for Bordeaux. But Sousa is doing a, an interesting job in a difficult context, because the two companies who own the club, pretty much, let's put it uh, in a simpler way, are pretty much at war with each other. So it's, it's not a very nice environment at the moment. The fans, the ultras are also not happy with the ownership. So it's a bit tricky. And despite that, they're doing a good job. Brilliant. Very shortly, we'll have a look at uh, some of your Twitter questions. But first, let's get some odds on some of the European action. Pretty Saben, speaking to Paddy Vah. 
Merci beaucoup, Jimbo. Here we go. Lee Price from Paddy Power is on the line. Lee, let's start with the Euro 2020 draw, which took place on Saturday. Um, what has that group of death done to the overall odds on who's going to win? Well, Ben, in one word, England. No, seriously, we are the 4-1 to favourites, although that will change if we win our group and a match for a team from the so-called group of death. As for the rest of the continent, France are 5-1, to Belgium 11-2, Holland 6s, Germany and Spain 8-1, to Italy 10-1. to But England and Gareth Southgate have got Europe shaking in their boots, probably. All right, over to Syria, where there are a couple of strikers with some very, very impressive numbers. So who is going to be Capo Capagnari come the end of the campaign? Well, usually it's the title that's won early in Italy, but in lieu of that, with an actual title race this season, it's the Capacanieri, I just like saying that, that looks sealed already. Odds on that Chiro Mobile wins it. He has scored 17 goals after all already. It's 4-11. to 11. He's a golden boot winner. Romelu Lukaku, second favourite, 6-1 to one with 10 goals. And then you have Cristiano Ronaldo, despite having just six goals, he's 12-1. to one. Uh, Lataro, for reference, is 18-1, to one, despite scoring two more with eight goals. And finally, over to Spain, another bad week for Atletico. Could they miss out on the top four this season? <laughs> no. I mean, would you want to tell Diego Simeone otherwise? It's still odds on they finish in the top four at one to three, but they have now slipped behind Sevilla in our betting. It's 23 to 10 Atleti finish outside the top four, or five to four they win the league minus Real and Barcelona. Sevilla are evens in that market. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. And when the fun stops, stop. So, listener, if you sent in a question for Jules, let's you have. Thank you. This could be your lucky moment. Let's start with this. Why has nobody else got any questions to them? Nobody else for, had anyone. Ah, yeah. I have did, one. You had some. There, there there did you, oh, yeah, that's true. Earlier yeah, on, we did. That yeah. is a quite, that's, quite boring. Yeah, we did, didn't we? It's all the French ones I kept back for the end. Yeah, of they course. Yeah, the best ones. Uh, okay. <laughs> Richie says, does Marcus Turam have a chance of making France's Euro squad next summer? He has indeed. They've watched him very closely. It's a shame for him that the next... Uh, international break doesn't happen before March because there's a lot that could happen between now and right. March and had they had they been one in December I think he would have called him up which then if mm-hmm. he was ever to play for France mm-hmm. soon uh, obviously after his dad Lilian it's quite rare that father and son play for the national team we had the Joe KFs Yuri obviously and his dad Jean a couple more I think through the history but it's quite I mean the Marco, Marco Alonso Marcos Alonso sorry oh yeah obviously had his dad and his granddad as well oh, yeah. very good even father and son is quite rare I believe in, in any country yeah so granddad's impressive didn't uh, Diego Forlan didn't he have three generations yeah, did he maybe, yeah. Yeah. Veron Veron his father played for Argentina didn't he I think so anyway, yeah. but as you say it's not something that's no, that it's common not so that would be very good and obviously Didier Deschamps having played so many years with Lyon Turam would be pretty cool yeah. to have then Marcus Federico who saw, Chiesa who we saw can Ronnie, you let me finish? Chiesa, can yeah. let me finish we can all throw names Federico Chiesa <laughs> <laughs> but it would be Didier Deschamps who saw Marcus being born from yes. the merge it would be quite funny really? to he have was at now. the birth it was oh come on <laughs> well, you literally you know, just like, said that he imagine Marcus growing up no but Marcus growing up was operating theatre just push Mrs. Jones almost there it would be great to have Marcus uh, with the national okay. team. Okay. Dan Atkin wants to know what sort of form Lise Mousset would need to show to be on the French national radar. 
Ah, oh, come on. Who who asked that? What's his name? <laughs> Dan Atkins. Dan Atkins, man. He just come on. The guy has scored four goals. Yeah. Do you remember when Emmanuel Riviere was doing well for Monaco and then had that move to Newcastle? He's and, now playing in the yeah, second division he is, in Italy. Indeed, yeah. yeah. And, and Newcastle fans used to say to me like, "Oh, what kind of? You know, the guy was amazing in France. What's and and no, no. Okay. No. Uh, Connor asks, where in Europe do you reckon Unai Emery will end up now? Spain, surely Spain. My guess. Yeah, Alvaro, I mean, he, he had a few experiences abroad, and mm-hmm. none of them work very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, none in Russia, uh, neither in France or in England. So now it's time for, uh, I mean, to look for a vacancy, obviously. But all the clubs have a decent manager, and uh, I don't think that he will go back to Valencia yet because Celades is doing an all right job, and Sevilla has Lopetegui, mm-hmm. and I think that Real Madrid and Barcelona are a bit above of his level at the minute. So I don't think that Emery will find the Spanish club straight away. Is it conceivable that he would take over the Spanish national team if Luis Enrique well, Luis Enrique goes, gets sacked on the eve of the Euros? <laughs> goes to Real Madrid. I mean, with Rubiales as the Spanish FA president, I don't write off anything. <laughs> right, anything okay. can happen. All that said, Luis Enrique has a contract until World Cup 2022, which mm-hmm. is December 2022. So I think that uh, probably Luis Enrique will stay and Emery won't be the Spanish national manager, at least for the next uh, yeah, but three Emery? and a half years. I mean, the Emery? curious thing from my point of view is that Emery was once upon a time very highly thought of at Napoli, as a, as often a, seen as a contender for uh, for the job after Sadi. And you know, I anticipate there'll be a vacancy there fairly soon. Um, so you know, that could be a potential option as well. It's a strange one about Emery, anyway, because he doesn't have a great reputation anywhere, even. <laughs> Even seriously speaking, even where he has won, right. like in Sevilla, uh-huh. nobody liked him oh, really? a lot there. <laughs> okay. Yeah, because he never qualified the team for the Champions League. And that uh, was Sevilla's okay. ultimate target. So the Europa League was always like a, a way of saving the season, and he managed to right. save all these seasons. in those days, seasons. Europa League didn't get you into the Champions League. Correct. Uh, as far as I remember... No, it did the last the, one, but the last they won. One, yeah. maybe, oh, the really? la- maybe, okay. the, maybe the last one, yeah. But, yeah, his domestic performances as a, as a Sevilla manager weren't great, so he was a very questioned manager in there too. All right, then. Here's another question for Jules. Julien, how did Monaco let one of their brightest prospects, Hannoa Masengo, Masengo, Masengo yeah. leave for Bristol City? Was it Jardim or a board decision? It was all Jardim. Uh, Thierry Henry gave him his debut as a 17-year-old and he uh-huh. looked very good and very promising. He'd been uh, on the radar, I think, of a lot of uh, people in France because he was so good in, in the youth teams and everything. And then Jardim came back and basically killed that one like a lot of other youngsters at the club. Didn't really fancy him, so they let him go to Bristol. And I, and I always thought that it was a very, very good move from Bristol. And mm. now he's paying up because he's doing really well in the championship. Brilliant. Which is also good for him because I think he will... Not just learn a lot, but it will mature quickly because it's such a tough league. And I think he's, you could see already how much he's developed since arriving at the club in the summer. Brilliant. That's from Ant Hardwell, that question. A couple of other things. Alvaro, why was there a Spanish referee in the big Greek uh, Super League uh, showdown between Olympiacos and Pauk? Yeah, this is happening since last season. Um, they get uh, a foreign referee for that game because uh, if you remember a couple of years ago, Savidis, the mm. Pauk Saloniki owner, uh, went down into the pitch with a gun mm. and, uh, well, basically he made the referee change his decision uh, during, during, his during the game against uh, Olympiacos. So ever since then... Ever since then, they resorted to international referees to... Couldn't they just arm their would, own referees? To, to, uh, <laughs> apparently, apparently, there is uh, too much 
influence, external influence okay. uh, from uh, Pao and Olympiacos, and uh, it's very preferable that uh, a foreign referee takes care of that game, and it was an important one for both teams, Olympiacos and Pao, because they were level on points, mm. and uh, it was another draw, so right. they are still level on points. Still level on points, <laughs> alright, excellent. Well, we better wrap up, because we've got to race off home and watch the Ballon d'Or ceremony, which is happening, this is Monday evening. But we already know who won. Is that right? Uh, is it going to be Leo Messi's sixth Ballon d'Or? Reports in Spain say that that the pictures have been made already. And <gasps> what? I can tell you, yeah. Yeah. So Interview already done. Oh, France yes, football have already. Football, so, yeah. so right. there will be the sixth uh, Ballon d'Or for Lionel Messi, putting him ahead of Cristiano Ronaldo. Yeah. Right. And the the difference between this Ballon d'Or uh, nomination and awards right. and the the previous five is that. Lionel Messi hasn't won the Champions League or uh, the World Cup, mm-hmm. and he's going to get the, the award. Uh, from 2014 onwards, every winner was a Champions League winner as well. And the other thing that's interesting about this list, uh, or at least the shortlist for this year's award, is that for the first time since 1993, there were no Spanish players. Yeah, I mean, it, there is an explanation for that, obviously. Uh, I think that only 12 of the 30 shortlisted are not attackers. Okay. And Spain doesn't have great attackers at the minute. And also, what happened in the last Champions League uh, counts a lot. Uh, it was Barcelona, it was Ajax, Liverpool, and Tottenham playing in the Champions League semifinals. And aside from the Barcelona Spanish players, who are not the most influential in the team, uh, only Spurs had a quality Spanish player, and he was not even making it to the lineup many times, uh, like Fernando Llorente. So mm. I think this explains why Spain doesn't have any players shortlisted. And I think that in the future they will have some coming up very soon because they won the European Under-19 and the European Under-21 this summer. And I can expect Fabian Ruiz from Napoli to be shortlisted very soon for the Ballon d'Or. Not to win it, but definitely to be in the list. We're back next uh, Tuesday, listener. We're going to be counting down to some pretty dramatic midweek action because, of course, next week brings match day six, the grand finale of this year's Champions League group stage with eight of the places in the last 16 still to be decided. All right. Have yourselves a great weekend in the middle. There's loads of football to enjoy. And we'll see you again next week. For now, it's many thanks to James, Alvaro, Rafa, Julien, and you, listener. Bye from us all. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. Keep up to date with everything across our Totally Football network at The Totally Show on Twitter. And make sure you check out our brand new website too, thetotallyfootballshow.com.